What's up, guys? Welcome back to Consuming Crime with Jen and Jules. I'm Jen. And I'm Jules. So today we're going to be talking about a story of a false confession. And a lot of people might think, how does somebody confess to a crime they did not commit? Today, I'm going to tell you exactly how that type of stuff happens. I hope you prove me wrong because I... I, till this day, don't understand how that happens. But you know what? I've never been in that situation, so guys, don't fight me. I'm glad that you are coming into this open-minded. I definitely was not. I was like, please explain. But there's actually an entire series on Netflix dedicated to false confessions, and it's actually called The Confession Tapes, and it is my only source. Um, I watched, it's called The True East Part 1 and Part 2. It's going to be in Season 1, Episode 1, Episode 2. All right, guys, so hope you enjoy the show. The story begins in blood, a lot of blood. Bellevue County Police received a phone call on July 13, 1994, at around 2.30 in the morning. It was from a teenage boy named Sebastian Burns. So from that, you can already tell that Sebastian is, like, afraid. He's stammering over his words. Um, do you notice anything odd about that 911 call? I don't know how people react. Like, I've never been in a situation like that. But I feel like it sounds forced. I don't feel like it sounds genuine. But then again, I handle things very differently. When I'm under pressure, I'm trying to get things done. Like, this, somebody here, somebody broke in. Like, please hurry up. And that's it. I'm not panicking. Because my... I go into like zombie mode but then again that can be really suspicious to some people so for me i think he's being a little dramatic but then i don't know i can definitely appreciate where you're coming from because i i i don't want to go into each episode agreeing you know i kind of like seeing the other perspective um so i'm curious to see how you feel about the rest of the story Officers arrived on the scene of the Rafay residence. They could tell that they had just moved in. There were boxes everywhere around the house. The first thing they noticed was Mrs. Rafay's body. She was face down in the living room and suffered blunt force trauma to the head. Officers went upstairs and found Dr. Rafay in his room. There was blood and brain matter all over the bedroom. They described it as like pieces of his brain were all over the walls of his room. He was most likely killed from blunt force trauma as well. Officers checked other rooms and found Bosma Rafay, their daughter, still barely alive and fighting for her life. She was transported to the hospital, and unfortunately, she did not survive her injuries. Atif Rafay, their son, and his friend, Sebastian Burns, were alive and untouched. According to them, they were not home during the murders. Uh, I'd like to provide a little bit of background on the boys before I continue. This is also how the documentary set, like, told the story, so they went backwards a little bit just to talk about the, the two boys. Um, According to to a girl named Sarah, Sebastian's girlfriend at the time of the murders, Sebastian was a good student. He was a bit lazy when it came to schoolwork, but he loved to talk and he really liked to debate. Atif wanted to be a little bit more achieved. His mother had her master's degree and his father had a doctorate in engineering. Expectations were clearly very high for Atif. 
um, and Atif had great inspirations, obviously. His sister, Basma, was disabled due to getting spinal meningitis when she was younger. Nonetheless, she was loved and dear by her parents and brother. Sebastian and Atif were culturally different. Their backgrounds were basically opposites. They were originally from Vancouver, Canada, and Atif had moved to Bellevue, Washington to attend Cornell University, which is also where his father went. The Rafay family was close with Sebastian, and it was Atif's parents that had pushed him to come over to visit them often. Sebastian had been at the house every day for five days before the murder. Him and Atif stayed in the home for the most part. It wasn't until that night that they had gone out. This is their story. They left the home at 8.30 at night, went to a keg restaurant, then went to the movies, saw The Lion King. This was confirmed also by an employee who said, I'm almost positive because he was wearing an army jacket. Then they went to an all-night diner in Seattle. This was confirmed by an employee who said they asked about clubs that were open late. Then they went to a club, which the bouncer at the club remembered seeing them too because he said, oh no, we're closing in 10, 20 minutes and he wouldn't let them in. So they have alibis, clearly. And then this also makes sense because the call was about 2.30. So if the club, like let's say he wasn't letting them in at 1.40, just 20 minutes before most clubs close, they'd be home at about 2.30 to make the 911 call. But regardless of the witnesses and the alibis, officers were still suspicious of the boys. At this point, I wanna know your thoughts now. <laughs> okay, I don't know if you mentioned, um, did they say what, what time did they go to the movies again? Well, they left the home at 8.30 and then went to eat and then went to the movies. So if I had to guess like 9.30 or 10? I mean, yeah, it just depends. Cause you know, you could easily go to a movie, buy a ticket and leave. I don't know, it's just, it takes a lot for me to, to believe people who confess something they didn't do. Cause then now I'm like, they're, are they sorry they got caught or like what the situation is? So I'm definitely super skeptical about these boys. Just letting you know. Okay, okay, I'm still with you. I'm still, well, I'm not. I don't agree with you, but like, <laughs> what I mean is like I can understand where you're coming from. This is only gonna make it worse then <laughs> for 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 you. Well, not for you. It'll it'll more solidify your point of view, which I'm, I don't even want to tell you. But <laughs> the officer's issue was that the boys were very nonchalant. Atif didn't check. This is according to police, by the way. Atif did not check on his sister, and according to the officers, at one point even said, I can't even put on a band-aid, there was nothing I could do. And in fact, he was more worried about his stolen Walkman and his stolen VCR. Okay, first of all, by worrying about your stolen Walkman and VCR, I feel like you're trying to stage it automatically as a robbery. I feel like your plan is like, let me point out what they stole, so that now I can justify and be like, you know what, somebody must have robbed this place. Alright, alright, I see you, I see you. <laughs> um sebastian was irritable he didn't want to speak with police he would say i already told you guys what happened why are you asking me again so after that police put them up in a hotel and told them all right get some rest you boys are obviously distraught or whatever they were um at this point the triple homicide was being published in the news sarah's parents saw it first sarah's parents remember sarah was sebastian's girlfriend at the time um, they saw it, they read it in the newspaper, and then they told her, and then at that point, she hadn't heard from Sebastian, so she called his father. He had no idea. Even as a joke, he answered and said, no, Sarah, Sebastian isn't home yet. And then after that, I guess, I don't know, maybe a couple hours later, that's when Sebastian called his dad. Sebastian finally called us around. It was after 9 o'clock. 
said, uh, hi, are you, are you, uh, what's your status? They got you in custody or anything of that nature? And I said, no, we're in a motel. So I said, well, I, I, I think I'd like to come down and pick you guys up, bring you, because uh, I guess you can't go back to the house, so you've got no place to stay. And he said, no, we can't leave without letting the police know. Okay, okay, come on. Like, is it legal to basically be keeping these two kids up in a motel and saying, you can't leave without telling us? They're not even being charged with anything. That's, I think that's my very first problem with this whole thing. I mean, I agree. I agree, but... And maybe they did have a plot like, hey, let's keep these boys around. They look a little suspicious. Now, they're not holding a gun to these kids' heads to go home. The dad called and they called their dad or whatever we just heard, letting them know, hey, we're in a motel. We can't leave unless we let the police know. I'm sure they could leave, but it, it would be smart and it would make them look so much better to let the police know, like, hey, I'm going to go with my dad unless I'm being charged. Again, these kids are scared, but I feel like... If you didn't do anything wrong, there's no reason to be scared. You know, just call your dad. Hey, dad, pick me up. And it is what it is. Let the cops know I'm going to go unless I'm being charged. And that's it. I don't know. All right, I see. You're still team police. All right, I'm, I'm going to try to convince you. I'm going to try to convince you. Okay. So they ended up staying in some dingy motel for three days at police discretion, like I mentioned. Police were convinced that the two boys were lying based on their lack of empathy. I want to introduce to you Bob Thompson, who was a Bellevue detective at the time. Uh, just like uh, FYI, I don't know how you're going to feel about Bob Thompson, but I don't like him, <laughs> like, at all. Initially, when you're taking these statements, you're just kind of like, you're getting this information, but as you're kind of sitting back and looking at it again, you go, I want to, I want to take another look at this. Some, something isn't making any sense. Sebastian Burns makes the 911 call. Those words weren't very significant to me in the beginning. A break-in refers to a burglary of some sort, not a murder. And when you look at this home, it was a staged burglary. In a room that Sebastian Burns was staying in, there were like legal boxes. So when you first walk in, it looks like somebody had been rummaging through documents and things. But if you really look closely at it, the boxes hadn't been gone through at all. They'd just been knocked over. And then you take the alibi, the keg restaurant, and the waiter there goes, oh yeah, uh, definitely remember them because they ordered a salad and some wine. I think they were ordering wine so that the guy would ask for ID and remember that there was two Canadians that came in here and ordered wine with a salad. At the all-night diner in Seattle, they remembered them there because the waitress said that they ordered like, you know, just like a Coke and some fries, but then they left me a $10 tip. And then when they went to the weathered wall, which was a nightclub, that guy remembered him because he, he said, I looked at my watch, 20 minutes to two, we we're just getting ready to close, so he said I wouldn't let him in. It, it's all these little pieces that you start putting, individually, they, they're not too meaningful, but you start putting them all together and you have a, a very organized plan on how they're going to commit a murder. He's okay. I don't. I don't know what your thoughts are. I remember. I remember. I like agreed with him in the beginning when I first watched this. Mind you, I've seen this documentary three times, which is like, you'd think I'd know all the details by now, but I don't. But like, I like that you are on opposing sides because it definitely makes this episode more interesting. But he sounds so <laughs> ridiculous. Like, uh, uh, go ahead. Okay, I don't understand how he sounds ridiculous. 
Okay, because just because he called the cops. I mean, I mean, maybe later there'll be more like information on this case, obviously that I don't know. So you kind of have a head start. But as of what I know from now, they could have shot. I mean, what happened again? So I have not yet revealed how they were killed. Okay. I they were just for sure both the parents died of blunt force trauma. Okay. So like I said, I'm not too sure like how or you know too much information, but or like what time was this you know the crime committed or whatever. However, they could have easily just committed a crime, gone to the movies, and then gone to all these places, you know, and then just to try to like make themselves look like they're somewhere because I'm sure they probably thought it through. Again, I'm still stuck on the fact that this dude was worried about a damn VCR and a Walkman. Almost all cases where it's a stage robbery, they point out the stupid little things that went missing when their freaking wife, kids, somebody died. So that's already to me was a major red flag. The fact that they try to get into a club 40 minutes before it's closed. Come on now, you should probably know that shit's about to close. Like, that just seems a little sus to me. Like, are you trying to go somewhere just to make, oh, I was here? You know, I don't know. I just think that's a little weird. So you think that they would have done it during the movie? Yeah, because like I said, you could have bought a movie ticket left. Whatever, you bought the ticket. It's an alibi. It, it does the job, you know. I mean, I hope there's, I wish there was cameras so they can see if it really happened. But like I said, their case does seem a little off to me. It doesn't seem like they're so innocent. All right. All right. All right. You're right, though. I do. I have seen the whole thing. But I, I do remember, like, thinking the same. Like, they went during the movie. But let's see. Okay, so that's that's Bob. Bob was also the one that said about the VCR and the Walkman. I just don't like Bob. I don't know. <laughs> but we'll see what happens. Uh, Sebastian and Atif decided to leave the motel. So, because like you said earlier, they can. And then... This is, and let me see what you think about this. Bob starts talking about why they left the motel. Which, by the way, I have to mention that sources, and I don't know who the sources are, said that Sebastian and Atif did tell the police about that they were leaving the motel. But according to Bob, <laughs> to Bob <laughs> over here, they didn't. So we reported in the media. No, we didn't report in the media. So, <laughs> um, it was reported in the media that Burns and Rafay had fled to Canada. And for all I knew, they were fleeing. They were getting away from Bellevue, basically as fast as they can. But to be frank with you, at the time, we didn't have any reason not to let them go. To, I mean, we, they were free to go wherever they wanted, but they were just gone. Okay, so... If they were free to go whenever they wanted, why did he, and he fucked up, why did he say they reported that they fled if they were free to go? Because they probably did report it to the media. And I'm not saying this, like, it's just like, it happens so much, like, in cases where you genuinely, like, believe somebody's doing it and you don't want them to get away with it. And I feel like, not that they had, like, tonal vision, maybe they did, but sometimes, like, there's so many cases where, like, that's a battle like should we tell the media and then by telling the media it does sometimes get them closer to convicting the right person so i feel like in this case maybe he didn't want to say that but the fact that he said it probably means he reported to the media but i don't see that as a wrong thing because the media can help convict people sometimes and i feel like that was his plan and it has convicted actual people that deserve to be convicted so i don't think they did any wrong in reporting it to the media if that's what they did okay i see i see your point 
By the way, if I start getting like frustrated, it is entirely at the situation and not at you because I'm not mad at you. Again, I think it's way more interesting that we don't agree. Um, okay, so after this, they went to Vancouver and stayed with Sebastian's father. Later on in the news, they found out that there was a funeral for the family and Atif had no idea. He said, uh, those bastards and became very upset and angry. And so the officers to this, they said, so in Muslim culture, the dead must be buried after three days. Officers thought it was strange that Atif didn't show up because he was like, how do you not know that? Like if you're part of the culture. I'm still trying to think of their age and how traumas process differently. But that was what officers said. They were like, no, they basically called bullshit on Atif not knowing. Okay, so then after that, months later, they had a memorial. This time, Sebastian and Atif were in attendance. Reporters were everywhere. And then when they asked why they wouldn't talk to police, they just would laugh and walk away. They didn't seem to have a care in the world. The press basically was like, these are the killers. Like, that was their point of view. Before the murders... I don't know why the documentary mentions this. Maybe it has something to do with it, but I guess Sebastian was in a play about two college boys that committed a murder. <laughs> kind of. Maybe it gave him an idea. I don't know. I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. I don't know. <laughs> He's just so cute. <laughs> Maybe it's because I think Sebastian's adorable, but I don't know. Yeah, I think you're just in love <laughs> with the murderer. Just kidding. <laughs> um, I mean, my biggest thing was like, what's their motive? But they do go over this. This is, ah, oh man, it sucks because this isn't going to, this doesn't help my case, but I, I'm going to tell you all the details. The motive was said to be money and life insurance. After they collected, oh my God, I hate this so much. This hurts me. I'm sorry, Sebastian and Atif. But after they got the money, they went on a road trip and then they bought a Mustang convertible. <laughs> Like, they went and spent it all. Honestly, at this point, Jules, I think you're letting Sebastian's good looks blind you. Because I don't care. I, I'm sorry. I don't care. Like, your parents just died, dude. Like, your parents were f killed. I mean, probably by you. That's why you're celebrating. But according to you, it wasn't you. And they were literally, like, dead. Painfully. And you're buying a Mustang with the money again i just that's not cool and i don't care how young you are like you're already a sick-minded person to be doing that like that's scary to me the fact that your parents can die the next day you buy a mustang that's already like creepy <laughs> i'm still with them oh my god you guys bear with me please i'm like and now i'm wondering is there a part where we're like i can convince her because i'm like damn it <laughs> like, oh my goodness okay like i will admit it looks bad but I don't know how long after the money was collected. And I just, I guess I'm just picturing like, I've, see, I know that for me, if I ever saw that, I would not be acting the way those two are. Like, I know I wouldn't. But, you know, in all of the, the other podcasts we listen to, I feel like they're always talking about how there's no, like, right or wrong way to act in certain ways. And I don't know i guess i'm just like honestly and i think that if if that ever happened to me and like they the press was accusing me of doing it am i an asshole for thinking it's a little comical like no i didn't murder my family like i don't think i'd be laughing the way that they are i think in my head i'd be like this is so stupid like really you can't think of anyone else to pin this on like but we'll get more into that later so at some point, the RCMP, who, I don't know what it stands for, but it is the FBI of Canada, basically. They found out about two Canadians being suspect in a murder case. Mind you, the murder 
did it did not happen in Canada. They were only getting involved because those two were Canadians. Um, they opened an investigation to find out what really happened. They initiated the Mr. Big technique. This is basically an undercover officer pretending to be the head of a gang in order to obtain confessions. This, by the way, is not legal in the United States. They put wires where the boys were residing, with roommates at the time. They listened and listened, but the murders never came up. It was always just guy talk. They finally had the undercover officer bump into Sebastian. I put air quotes around bump. He asked him for a ride and then convinced him to go to the bar with him. It would start off casual, and then slowly the officer would start talking about illegal activity that he's into, hinting that he is part of a criminal organization ran by a man named Mr. Big. Fast forward, now Sebastian puts himself in kinda deep with this guy, which is his naive mistake. So at this point, this is when we start getting video footage of Sebastian sitting on a couch. I'm not sure exactly where they are, um, but this is where it comes from. This is also where that undercover cop starts introducing other undercovers to Sebastian. At one point, one of the guys puts the gun on the table and says, it's still warm if you know what I mean. So obviously they're like trying to intimidate Sebastian, scare him, I don't know. At some point they said to him, you uh, uh, are gonna have to tell us about what you did down in Washington. Sebastian denied many, many times that he had anything to do with uh, the killing of the Rafays. But they were gangsters, and he wanted to impress them. Okay, stop the fucking bullshit there. Stop the bullshit there. Right now, you're all no fucking lying to me. I'm not goddamn white. The fucking report I fucking read fucking basically spells out black and white. That the police fucking know you killed these people. So I'm not putting up this bullshit. You're lying to me now. We're fucking, uh, you come back and follow these fucking bodies. You must think I come off that tree. Maybe you start thinking that about me. And this fucking misunderstanding. I mean, you're misunderstanding. All right? I, uh, then make it clear so I don't misunderstand you. Because I'm not having fucking my ass get bit here. So I know it's kind of hard. It's I feel like it's harder to hear Sebastian's voice than the, um, the undercover guy's voice but he's basically saying like they attacked me because they didn't have any other leads and then he's like pressing him about it so i want to know i guess i want to get your first impressions of the tape so far yeah i feel like the cops are going a little extreme on that like i feel like that's usually techniques that are used in interrogation rooms you know they press the person and then they confess which in that case i can see them not confessing to it because it's a cop and in this case i could understand why they'll be like okay yeah yeah yeah, i did it just to get them to shut up so i can see that happening for sure so with this this part and at first i was like dude to sebastian like what are you doing like you don't know this fool why are you tolerating it why'd you go to the bar and it mentions in the documentary too that it was like it was hard for him to find a job so he, he wasn't working 
you know, it was just hard for him to have, like, social interactions because the media was like, you're a murderer. So, like, I I can kind of see why he, like, fell for it, but the guy, the guy sounds like a cop, and I feel like that's because I know he's a cop, but also, like, to be the advocate for Sebastian here, th- that tactic that they're using isn't even legal in the U.S., so Sebastian's like, if it if it did cross his mind, this dude's undercover and I, there's a wire, it's not, maybe he had that mentality. Remember that like rumor that was like, oh, if you're a cop, you have to tell me. Maybe he thought that. I don't know. This, I mean, it was kind of naive, I think, but who knows what was going through this dude's head. He's probably just tired of it. Um, at this point, I think this is when I started to change my mind about who murdered the Rafay family. Okay, guys, I'm going to go ahead and end the episode right about there. This is just me editing in the future this episode. We did it all in one go, but I'm going to split them up into two parts. They both should be about 25 to 30 minutes each. So next Wednesday, that's when you guys are going to find out if Jen decided to come over to the dark side or if she stands her ground. So that'll be fun for you guys to to, uh, to listen to. Make sure you give us five stars wherever you're listening. That's Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're just on those two right now. And thanks for consuming crime with us.